Alternative Radio. Coming up, in their personal Bay of Pigs, the fellas invade the island of Cuba for 2008's Che, Part 1. Finally, Brendan will learn who the cool guy on all the t-shirts is. All this in a pile of M1 Garands this week on For Screen and Country. Thank you so much to the National Band of the Cuban Military for providing us that rousing rendition of the March of the 26th of July. I'm Jason McLeod. Welcome to our podcast called For Screening Country. With me today, as always, is my brodacious bro, Brendan Wallace. Say hello, Brendan. Hello, it is me, Ernesto Che Guevara. Nope, that's not you. Nope. That, that, guy is, that guy's dead. Now, folks, you can't see Brendan right now, but if he were wearing a beret, he would resemble a slightly Corn Fred uh, uh, Che Guevara. Mm-hmm. Corn Fred. That's my new character. Corn Fred. If, if Che Guevara spent like a couple years in the North and he like faded, that's what Brendan, that's what Brendan looks Did like. Did you say and he faded? He faded, you know, because he's because he's you know he's he's a he's a beautiful Cuban man. He's mm. he's very brown, so he faded in the north and he turned into you. That sounds like a very problematic premise for a comedy. Also, <laughs> I gotta correct Rivera myself. Went north and faded, and now he's played by a white man. I gotta correct myself. Che Guevara, not a Cuban man. Che mm. Guevara, an Argentinian, of course. Now, Jason, when you said um, Brennan's finally gonna, no, well, I don't know what you said, but someone said at the beginning. Um, the Brennan's mm-hmm. finally going to know who the cool guy on that poster is. Um, I know we're talking about Che Guevara, but are you actually... So you're talking about this guy, right? The picture I just sent you? You're going to finally tell me who that cool guy is? That uh, n- You know what? I can see why you might think that uh, that gentleman is uh, Che Guevara, but it is not. That is, in fact, uh, a really cool Bugs Bunny. Wait a second. But, Jason, he has hip-hop clothes and a stereo. That's not Bugs Bunny. He does, he does. Now, I can't say that I've ever seen a Che Guevara t-shirt with a stereo and hip-hop clothes, but I'm telling you, Brendan, I want one, and I want it now. I almost guarantee you that if you Googled it, you'd find something close to that. God, I wish we were popular enough that I could just say things into the ether, and then a week later it shows up at my door. (sighs) We are. Just try it. T-shirt with Che Guevara as well, not as Bugs Bunny, but with hip hop clothes and a boombox. Wow, Che Guevara as Bugs Bunny with hip hop clothes and a boombox. Let's do that. Sounds actually pretty scary. Let's not do that. Que pasa, Doc? Okay, Jason. Fun and games are over. You're Jason. I'm Brendan. We're here to talk about war films. We're talking about the mm. top 100 war films of all time, plus other war movies that we want to talk about. That's actually should have been the name of the podcast. Um, we're talking about number 75 on the list, kinda. And when I say kinda, I mean because we're only talking about half the movie. Half the movie, what? you say, 
What's a ripoff? When I pay zero dollars for an episode, I demand a full movie be discussed. Well, I'm sorry, folks, but because this movie is kind of two movies, sort of, we yeah. are watching, uh, we're, we're not watching, we already watched it, I hope. We're talking about Che, part one, released in 2008, um, of course, directed by Steven Soderbergh. My, actually, I would say Steven Soderbergh is my favorite director. I, I thought wow. about it for a long time. I think he is my favorite director. Well, he's so unique. Like, he's so, mm. he's done so many different kind of movies. Like, he's, okay, mm. just for example, like, he's he'll go and do Traffic, but then he'll do Magic Mike, Ocean's Eleven, Out of Sight, Aaron Brockovich, you know, Unsane, which was like this little mo- horror movie he filmed on an iPhone. Like, he goes kind of all over the place. Full Frontal was a movie he did with no script. It was just David Duchovny and a couple, a few other actors, and they just wow. totally unscripted. I'm going to have to look through his filmography because I've only seen, I think, two of the movies you mentioned. Well, that's a shame because he's great. Also, but i got to give him props because he solved the problem that we're having in Hollywood these days, and he did it in 2008. They're all like, you know, where it's like, guys, we want to have an intermission. We want to go to the bathroom. And the director's like, no, you have to watch my whole movie. So Steven Soderbergh figured it out. It's just like, I'll just make it two movies. Now, it did get released as one full movie in some places. Um, early in on. In places where the people have a incredibly strong bladders. Well, I think there was probably still an intermission, but I think it was uh, released early on in its festival run as a whole movie. But that being said, Jason, I'm going to run down some of the people that are in this movie. Of course, we have Benicio Del Toro playing Che Guevara himself. Yes. The great Benicio Del Toro. We have Damien Bashir as Fidel Castro, another fairly important person in this movie. Um, you might say. Rodrigo Santoro as Raul Castro. We have uh, Julia Ormond as Lisa Howard. She is the one uh, interviewing him. That is the kind of the narrative throughout this, this uh, movie. Um, we have Edgar Ramirez showing up as Ciro Redondo. You have Sam Robards as Tad Sulk. And last but not least, and I was surprised to read this, but I didn't even realize, but I guess you never really see him on screen. But we have Oscar Isaac, Jason. He's the UN interpreter and uh, sort of narrates the movie because he's the one, as Che Guevara is speaking in Spanish to uh, Lisa Howard, Oscar Isaac is saying his answers in English. So he's the one we really hear during those scenes. Oh, Oscar Isaac, you say, from Star Wars? Mm-hmm. The ex machinist himself. I like that guy very much. He's a good man. He's a, he's a good man with good taste and good a good beard. Yes. So, Jason, I I the, unlike the last couple of movies, I had heard of this. <laughs> I had mm. heard of this movie. Me um, too. I had I knew I knew Benicio del Toro was in it. I knew it was a Steven Soderbergh thing. I actually thought it was just on TV, so I was surprised to know that it was not just on TV. It actually ended up making some money at the box office. Um, but had you seen this before? Any of this? No, I'd heard about it, but I often in my head confused it with the Motorcycle Diaries, which is another movie about Che Guevara. I think that's the one where Gail Garcia Bernal plays Che Guevara. Yes. And I believe so. Is that to take, is that supposed to take place before all this shit? I think that's more about like his earlier life, like kind of finding himself as a revolutionary, because in this movie we only see a little bit of his early life and I'm wondering if we'll see more in the next one or if the next one is going to be strictly about kind of the establishment of the Cuban regime. I don't know. Well, why don't you why don't you tell us what this one covers at least? Well, so our framing device in this movie is a a sort of Battlestar Galactica-esque but in black and white 
you know, shaky cam documentary style footage of uh, Che Guevara's visit to New York. And I guess it was what, 1964, I think they this, indicate? Yeah, the six, uh, yeah around, around that, I think they said. So the revolution, of course, happened in 1959, January to be uh, uh, precise. Um, so it's been about five years at that point. And so he's going and he's addressing the United Nations. This is, you know, Cuba's government is young and it's a government that has decided to choose communism over capitalism i guess because they had to make a choice apparently it was it was uh, on the ballot you, you vote for capitalism on the ballot. or communism well and that's the thing actually it's like now i don't know a whole lot about the cuban revolution but it seems to me like although they were pretty like leftist early on like they weren't they weren't ostensibly communist it was more like I think they were waiting to get into a position where they could see who they could work with, and they would then kind of determine their their ideology going from there. And it ended up being the Soviet Union was more like more likely to work with Cuba well, than think, the United States was. I think what really messed up their election, Jason, was all the hanging chads. Yeah, certainly. Dude, let's let's <laughs> you guys you guys remember Gore Bush, right? My references yeah. are timely. Absolutely, Brent. Brendan coming in with the hot twenty four year old references. Um, yeah, so so that's our framing device. Is this kind of him in quote unquote modern times? I guess the present day, perhaps. Uh, and then we're flashing back in full color, mind you, to um, uh, to his early days in the revolution. Like we, we, we get a cup. We actually we actually get one kind of scene early on where he is visiting Fidel Castro, um, and it's clearly before the revolution. You know, and they're both first still. Yeah, he first meets him there, and Fidel's like an academic who played baseball, and uh, Che, you know, he's a doctor from Argentina, right? They're just two dudes that are meeting and have a common vision of revolution, and then we cut to he's in the jungle, mm-hmm. and they're fighting the, the revolution. And so we follow his path as he, like, initially comes in as one of Fidel's buddies and kind of serves as a medic eventually kind of becomes a guerrilla fighter fighting on the front lines. He's eventually sent. I won't say it. You won't say it. He's eventually sent back to train. He trains guys, but he, but he eventually takes command of his own column, which Mm -hmm. I guess is kind of his own battalion, his own unit, whatever. And, becomes quite uh, uh, quite impressive on the battlefield and uh, through the course of the movie we see his development into the Che Guevara that we see on the t-shirt because his his look does change over the course of the movie until eventually he's wearing the braid and he's got the shaggy hair and Benicio Del Toro really fucking owns it he looks like Che in this movie especially at that point yes um, and then yeah and the movie ends really with them uh, uh, taking a city on the way to Havana mm-hmm. and the uh, the former Cuban dictator Batista has already fled. He's fled the country. Yeah, and this is the um, and and that's the U.S. installed dictator Batista, Ful- Fulgencio yes. Batista. Er, well, I don't know if he was U.S. installed. He certainly was U.S. supported. Well, they, he was a guy. That's how they worded it in the in the movie. U.S. U.S. instilled or installed or whatever. He certainly he's like because uh, as a, what I understand about Batista is that he was a an army officer mm-hmm. that helped stage a coup. A former against, heavyweight champion. Uh, former. Well, he may have been. Uh, <laughs> It he was, was. He played Drax, of uh, course. We know the Leviathan, Dave Batista. <laughs> well, this is Fujil Fujilinso. I Fulgencio. can't pronounce his name. 
Fulgencio. Fulgencio Batista. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he he helped uh, arrange a coup against one of the Cuban presidents, and eventually he became president, was elected, I think, for a couple terms, and then left office, and then decided, fuck it, I'm going to go take over again, and he became a dictator. He came back and just took over. And, uh, yeah, it was at that point that he was, like, had quite a, a deal with the United States where... Mm-hmm. You know, there was a lot of business investment in Cuba, taking advantage of Cuban labor. You can see why a, a communist revolution or at least a worker-centric revolution would foment there because those are the people that were truly getting fucked over. You know, while the rich and famous went and played in Havana, you know, whereas Havana was famous for its nightlife. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's, whole, there's a whole musical about it. At the Copa, Copa Cabana, Cabana. Although that's not actually in Havana. That's at a. That's the hottest spot north of Havana. So uh, my premise is completely flawed, and uh, I apologize you might as to well my re- family and my loved ones. You, you should probably retire now. Yeah, I probably should. But Havana, yeah, Havana. It was like a hot spot because it, it, you know, it was basically gangsters and fucking corrupt businessmen and just the worst of the worst, fucking playing, living their lives away. And you wonder why all these people were willing to go and and kick the fuckers out. Yeah, that was the yeah. And the battle you're talking about uh, that kind of closes the movie is the Battle of Santa Clara. Um, uh, it's, it's like the last, like it's the last good like thirty minutes of the movie at least. Um, but there's a lot that happens in that scene. Yes, so it is and and is that battle edited in a non-linear way? I don't know. The I'm reason sure. I ask is because the tank, because they, they they're concerned about the tank at one point, and and uh, but then the tank is like wrecked, and they some guys try to jump on a machine gun and they get sniped, but then the tank is moving, and I'm like, what is even going on? Well, I think I think this whole movie is not so much edited in a non-linear way as as it is edited in a storytelling way because i think yeah. as we have as we're brought through the movie with this interview where Sh- where che is uh talking to you know the american interviewer and talking about like his his life essentially mm. um we have to keep in mind that this is his perspective i think we are yeah. getting his perspective which is interesting because you can watch this movie I know I'm diving right in, but just bear with me. Yeah. You can watch this movie and think like, well, this is a real like lionizing of Che Guevara, which I mean, it shouldn't be a shocker. There's lots of people that love Che Guevara, but um, a lot of people hate him too. No, but I'm just saying there's a lot of people that do love him though. But Mm -hmm. absolutely. But I think, I think it's not so much that he's lionized by the movie. I think you have to keep in mind that Soderbergh intentionally has him narrating his own story. At least that's yeah. my takeaway: is that we're we're getting his perspective. We might not we not might not be getting all of the negative shit about him uh, in this in this half. Certainly, maybe in the next half we will. But I think that's because he's taking us through it, not someone else. Yeah, yeah exactly. I was trying to see what this movie was based on specifically. Um, it says it intended to be based on a like a more kind of straightforward biography, but. It was it was supposed to be based on a biography about his life, um, but appa- apparently they they basically they did a lot of re- they did a lot a lot a lot of research. Like they went into like okay. they went into like other uh, books about him. They even looked at like books that he liked. Like they they, they looked mm. into Don Quixote. Apparently that was one of like uh, che, Che's favorite books. Um, they met with. I mean, like, also, also one of the greatest books ever written in the Spanish language. So no doubt that he would have read it. Yeah, I mean, they 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 met with like his family and friends, and 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 they actually did 
have a quick encounter with Fidel Castro, actually, uh, who talked about him briefly. Um, and like, you know, Fidel Castro's family and just people that were alive in Cuba at the time. So they, they did this for years. Like this was, this was, a uh, in the making for like close to a decade. Like they were, wow. there's many different people that were going to, uh, that were going <laughs> to, that were going to play him. Um, no, notably, I was going to save this for later, but Jason, notably Val Kilmer was at one point in talks. Uh, that must have been early on because I feel like in 2008 oh. they would have been like, "That's not okay." <laughs> Come on, casting a blonde guy. <laughs> well, no, that's <laughs> why I think Jane that's why Umara. that's why I think that wasn't that was early on because I think in 2008 when this movie came out, that was not an okay thing to do. No, that wouldn't have been an okay thing in like. I, I say I don't know if you could get away with that in 2000. That didn't would seem you, weird. Didn't you tell me? I don't know if you told me or someone else told me. I don't know how true it is, but that there was in the 90s, in the early 90s, there was originally a plan to have a Harriet Tubman movie starring Julia Roberts. I've heard that. Yes, I may have told you that. I've heard that suggested. I don't know what the truth is of that, but it's not that there was going to be a movie. Is that I think that there was a, a Hollywood executive that was really set on doing this movie and getting Julia Roberts to play Harriet Tubman. See, I could see them making a Harriet Tubman movie in the 90s and having Julia Roberts play a white character that didn't exist sure. in real life and then having the movie about her. <laughs> but I, my, my take on that is that this, if this, if this is true and if this executive existed, that this executive was so, like, privileged in their position that... And it was so common for to just like oh there was a real life person that was a, a certain color and getting a person of a different color to play them didn't really seem that crazy right i think so i think that like, one yeah, no i think that yes, one would have because that person scorn. clearly was stupid yeah. and didn't understand the history i want but I, i'd like <laughs> to imagine a harriet tubman movie came out and like julia roberts does play just like a fictional white character and then and then harriet tubman like dies five minutes in and then it's all about her trying to help the other slaves get away or something anyway we're not talking about that we're talking about che part one Jason, um, you mentioned the beginning with the black and white and stuff and the, the look mm -hmm. of this movie. Can we talk about the look of this movie, first of all, because I think it's fucking spectacular. It does. It's, pretty, it's very nice. We get a nice look of, uh, uh, let's see, is it filmed in Cuba? I don't know. Well, no, it probably wasn't no, filmed it was in definitely Cuba. Not I filmed think that would be technically against the law. No, but I'm just talking about, like, I'm not even talking about the locations, like, just the visual style of... Uh, when we're going back and forth between both eras, like so, when we're in 1964 and we're in black and white, and it's kind of like montage style filmmaking, and there's like shaky mm -hmm. cam, like you said, and then we get the different color grading. There's a lot of different color grading for mm. um, when we go back to like when they're in the jungle and everything. It actually changes yeah. as we go further in the movie. It gets almost like murkier. Well, and and if you notice too, like I got the sense, and I'm no expert, so maybe you notice, but it felt like the the, the scenes where, um, like the er, like the early life scenes where where Doctor Doctor Guevara and Fidel are like having their little first meetup, right? It looked to me almost like those scenes were filmed on 16 millimeter. It's very uh, they looked very grimy and like like kind of looked older than the rest of the movie. It's very likely. I think I think yeah. I read that he did use that in the movie. Soderbergh is known for mixing a lot of different like styles of color grades, lenses, different filmmaking techniques. Um, I th I think there's a tiny film glasses reason uh, that the movie is in black and white for these scenes and in color for the other scenes, other than differentiating them. Uh, if you if okay. you don't if you don't mind if I put them on right now. 
Uh, you know what? I'm going to have to allow it. Okay. Uh, uh, oh, they're, they are tiny. Whew. Um, Extremely. This is, I'm just, I'm just spitballing here, but I think cause all the scenes in black and white are in America and in America, there seems to be a very divided point, a point of view about Shay. He, they either hate him or they're like, yeah, he's the best thing ever. And then when we go to Cuba where we're in color and we see more like, you know, variations and grading and colors and everything, it seems to be more like, well, there, no, there's many different layers to him. Like there's many different, it's not just a, is he bad or is he good kind of thing. Hmm. Does it maybe indicate some some function of spirit as well? Like the where where you have that first, you know, that early scene I talked about that looks like it's 16 millimeter. It also is like a little bit washed out. There's not a whole lot of color beyond like whites and pinks and blacks um, in that scene. And then by the time you get to the actual like, oh, he's in the jungle and he's fighting, it's much more colorful. And you wonder if that's like his spirit is higher because they're in the jungle, they're doing the fighting. And as much as it might suck, it's starting to feel like they're making progress perhaps. And that you could even, and then you could interpret that black and white later on being like having the spirit sapped because, um, spoiler alert for history, Che eventually leaves Cuba and goes to fight revolutions elsewhere because he doesn't he can't really handle the job of being a politician he wants to be a revolutionary and that eventually leads to his demise but um yeah so he doesn't stick around he's a revolutionary at heart and for him being in the field that's like that's where he feels the most alive and that's where we see like the most color in the movie especially at the point where he's got the he's got the beret he's got the hair he's looking like the t-shirt like, especially, you know, at the end of the movie where it's like a triumphant point where we end the movie. They won this big battle. Uh, Batista's fled and they're on their way to Havana to take the capital. You know, that's a big deal. And and like I say, it's very kind of it's very like almost saturated at that point. It's so much more colorful than it was previously to me. Yeah. No, I think I think that, too. Honestly, I think there's there's a that's what I love about. Um, and again, I go back to saying he's probably my favorite filmmaker is that he always has a reason for everything he does on camera. It's never for like, yeah. it's never just like, Oh, look what I can do. Look at the, look at the style choices I'm making. Like there's a narrative reason or a thematic reason for everything he does. And I just think that's the mark of a great filmmaker. Um, yeah. One thing, and, and I'll be interested, sorry, I'll be interested to see as we watch the second part to see if, if my theory holds true and if as the movie goes on and he starts to fall in, into, you know, work as a politician, if the color then will then desaturate further and it'll become more depressing because he's stuck in a position he doesn't want to be. New York being the ultimate position he doesn't want to be mm. because he's, he's hobnobbing with a bunch of fucking you know of the bourgeoisie yes. that, that they overthrew instead of being in the field with the people which hilarious one of my favorite bits of that whole thing is when he thanks that senator for doing uh, for starting the bay of pigs invasion mm. and he <laughs> just and the senator laughs like he's like he thinks he thinks it's <laughs> like a not a compliment but he thinks he's like oh i'm in on the joke and he's just like no seriously thank you because i wouldn't have been able to turn the people around without a, without an american invasion that really helped <laughs> yeah um so the one thing Soderbergh doesn't do, which I read about specifically they didn't want to do, is there aren't a lot of close-ups of Che's face. And apparently the main reason for that is because um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of reading into like Che didn't want to be like, I'm the one responsible for cleaning up Cuba. I'm the master of the revolution. No. He wasn't that kind of guy. So specifically they avoided that because they're like well if he didn't want to be the focus why are we making him why are we 
making him the focus more. Like, let's let's not do that. And they also avoided uh, they also avoided um, bringing up a lot of like his family life because yeah, this is it, this is not they did they didn't want to. Because they said, if we're going to talk about his family life, why are we not talking about any of the other guys? Like, why are they less important? Why is their personal lives less important? Because, again, they don't. He's the focal point, but he's not the focal point. You know what I mean? Well, and they, I, I, I mean, there's a point where the reporter even says to him, like, what is it like to be a symbol? Yeah. She's like, what? <laughs> a symbol like, of what? Like, yeah, he even, she's like, of revolution. He even says, I'd rather... Uh, I'd rather face a soldier than a journalist at some point because <laughs> yeah. her questions yeah. are like, I think pissing him off a little bit. Um, okay. I want to get this out right now because I, this is like the, the, this is the most I know I've learned about Che Guevara just from watching this movie. And I know yeah. there are takes on either side. So Jason, I know we're going to get into more stuff in part two. So maybe do your best maybe not to go that far, but why? what is the divided opinion on Che Guevara? Because obviously there are many people in Cuba that love Che Guevara, and you said there are, there are some people that, that do not. So what is the... It's, he's, he's like many revolutionaries. He is a guy because he stood for, uh, uh, he stood for some strong ideals. You know, they were, they were, pro-worker, pro-people, pro-getting the rich people out of there, of trying to make a better society, willing to fight for it. But you see how Cuba eventually turned out. Now, you can't blame all that on Che, because Che died relatively early in the in the Cuban existence, in the modern Cuban existence. Yeah, think, yeah, yeah. Was uh, compared to Fidel, who only actually passed away barely a decade ago at this mm-hmm. point. Yep. You know, and was president the whole, f- well, not the whole time, but pretty much the whole time until he, he stepped down and let Raul take over for his shot. Yeah, that was um, pretty close to the end of his life, though, I think. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Uh, but like any any revolutionary, they did a lot of, you know, violence. They did a lot of violence mm. in, in pursuit of, you know, their objective. And, it, you know, if you were on the receiving end of that violence or you had family members that were on the receiving end of that violence... Uh, you know, obviously there's going to be a different view. Now, we see him, obviously, now you say this movie's based on his perspective, and given that his diaries were, like, one of the primary sources for this, then yes, this is absolutely from his view. Because we see him even at one point telling people, well, first off, they execute a couple of guys because they they, they basically rob a, a farm and rape a, a person's daughter, lady's daughter. Yeah. And this was a guy that he worked closely with, and he still executed him. Yeah, um, I mean, and then also made those kids at the end of the movie turn around with their fancy sports car. He's like, "I don't care. That's not your car. Yeah, we're not gonna fucking steal people's cars. Drive it back." And they're like, "Well, it was owned by a sniper. He's dead." He's like, "Doesn't matter. It's not your car. Take it back." And you could argue too when he executes those those people earlier. Um, it's not just that they you know killed people and raped a girl. It's that they did it in the name of the revolution. And yeah. if that gets around, then people yeah. think that's what they're for. That's what like yeah. they're all about. That's the end yeah, of Chase his smart revolution. To know that that the PR battle is a big part of it. Mm-hmm. And if you are look like a bunch of fucking psychopaths running around raping and murder, murdering and burning and killing civilians, then you're not going to get a lot of international support. Which is going to be necessary at some point. Well, I do appreciate that they don't gloss over the fact that he actually did execute people. Like they, yeah. they, they do include a lot of details that 
you know, maybe not everyone making a Che Guevara biopic that wanted to uh, just show nothing but love would would maybe include like there's there's he's mm-hmm. a complicated figure like I think yeah. you're saying right like there's certainly lots and lots to love about him I wonder you know it kind of reminded me when you said like you know he ended up you know there was there was some a lot of violence and you know some families got killed and there was collateral damage certainly do you think it's it kind of reminds me sort of when we talk about those like IRA movies where like yeah, people like exactly some people loved what the IRA were doing. They certainly love what they stood for, but at the end of the day, it's like, well, you still caused like a lot of innocent deaths. Yeah. And so did the British. So did the British, which is, which is a shitty thing. It was like, Oh yeah, well you get, you just got killed a lot of people. Well, so did they, but I mean, you know, Jason was a fight. Jason's uh, very much into the, uh, what about ism? Um, whenever I say something well, about also, Trump, he, whenever I say something I, about Trump, he's like, what about, uh, 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 John Gretchen? Let me just, uh, I got to take a quick look here at the troubles. I got to look at a body count because I feel like the Fuck. British had the advantage here. Well, no, I'm not um, saying one's worse than the other, but I'm just no, saying but, like in the ter- in a, like in fight, IRA bombings can... and shit, like obviously there's still going to be innocent people dying. Actually, you know what? Good for the IRA. They they out uh, they killed uh, the British <laughs> the British had like over a thousand dead, and the uh, uh, IRAs it was barely five hundred and some. Yeah, but I'm I'm talking about innocent people though. I'm not just talking about each other. Uh well, that's it. And then uh, there was a uh, you know eighteen hundred and forty civilians killed in the uh, yeah, the troubles that, over thirty years. That's what I'm saying. I'm saying I'm saying similarly to that. There's a great uh, there's there's a foundational ideal there's some foundational ideals there that people can get behind but at the end of the day you're still causing some collateral damage innocent people are still dying and then you're like and then i guess you got to reckon with that in your head is it worth it for the cause right is 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 the end does the end justify the means i guess so the human revolution the numbers are interesting i mean this this varied obviously over the course of the years but um like the Cuban military in 1958 is listed as having a strength of 20,000 men, whereas the the belligerents of, you know, the the allied guerrilla movements, including the 26th of July movement, which is where our heroes from, the uh, uh, revolutionary directorate of March 13th, and then the 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 splinter group from them, the Second National Front of Escambray, mm. they had about 3,000 people. So. It was a quite a small number versus a big number, but that's how a guerrilla, you know, a guerrilla force can take on a, a bigger army and still win. And bigger than a guerrilla, that's pretty big. Um, uh, yes. Huge. So, <laughs> well, just speaking to that for a second, there's there is even a line where he's talking about that, where you see their first kind of fight, and he says, you know. Just because you're a smaller army um, doesn't. What gives you the advantage is knowing exactly what you're fighting for, and that gives you purpose. And that means you'll yeah. you'll keep fighting till either it's done or you're dead. And that's the thing. Yeah. Like they're fighting against an army that, like, I mean, they're an army. They're a hired army. They're not really like they. They don't. I don't think they have the passion that uh, that chase people have. Well, and it's it's something when you ask a military. It's one thing when you ask a military to go fight some furners. But it's another thing when you ask the military to start fighting like their countrymen. Yeah. So I think that's a big part of it. A lot of the guys in the army, because we see it, a lot of guys just surrender because they're just like, fuck this. I'm not going to give my life up for this. You know, it's not worth it. I'm not going to die for Batista. Fuck this shit. Mm. Whereas the rebels, absolutely willing to die for their cause. Because if they if if they don't win, then they're all fucked. Well, that's the thing. Like, if what happens if the if the if the government uh, military doesn't win, like, okay, 
cool, whatever. Moving on, nothing's changing for them. <laughs> well, I mean, the country will change, but certainly nothing's changing directly for them. Um, whereas, like you said, if the revolution doesn't win, sh- shit. <laughs> We're yeah. up shit's creek. Um, well, I mean, honestly, though, both sides are in a war of a war of uh, existence here. I mean, if if the government loses, I mean, Batista had the the option to flee, which he did. So you would say uh, that you looked at Che from both sides now. Sure. Thanks, Joni. Yeah, I mean, I mean, old Batista got to live uh, until 1973. I thought, wow. So when did he wrestle? That was a long time ago. Yeah, I know. That, so he's, wait, he's Dave Batista's dad. Was Evolution that long ago? <laughs> That's how long ago is it Evolution? Ric Flair was in the original incarnation of Evolution with Fug, Fug, uh, Fulgencio. Fulgencio Batista. Fulgencio doesn't. And then have later this, reformed it with Dave Batista. Fulgencio doesn't have quite the same wrestler name ring to it. Leviathanio. Mm, yes, very, very nice. Um, should we talk about. I mean, we didn't really talk about this, but. but the main thing, the main selling point in this movie is Benicio Del Toro, man. Fuck. Yeah. That guy is an actor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and, and there's a lot of movies where I'm like, oh, look, it's Benicio Del Toro. And I mean, obviously with this one, it's the same because, I mean, he stars in it. But he like, he he is this role. He falls into this role. This is some of the uh, strongest acting he's done in his life. And he's a great actor. So that's saying a lot. He's a terrific actor. I mean, I'm, th- I, I mean, I'm. Sicario is one that sticks out for me of him being just like top notch. I mean, Traffic, uh, Usual Suspects, like he's great in all these movies. Usual Suspects is he's uh, doesn't have much screen time, but he's hilarious. And you don't know what he's saying uh, ever. He's in he's in the Last Jedi. He is he's in great. the Last. Jedi. I love him in the Last Jedi. I love him in uh, Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy too. Also, he's in one of my favorite movies, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, oh, where yeah. he plays uh, uh, Doctor Gonzo. Uh, A.K.A. Oscar Ramirez, I think his name was, I, Rodriguez. That's one of those movies where I'm like... Oh, Acosta, Oscar Acosta. That's one of those movies where I'm like, I have seen it, but I do not remember one thing. <laughs> Tell me about the fucking golf shoes. Nope. No idea. We were somewhere around Barstow at the edge of the desert when the drugs began to take hold. So, Che Part 1. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, he's got this... His performance, he's got like... um. I don't know. Something about Benicio del Toro is he got this like quiet, calm charisma. Like you believe that he could motivate people to follow him, and I think that's so mm. important. Remember we were talking about Napoleon, and we talked about yes. that one scene where Joaquin Phoenix is doing that. And Joaquin Phoenix is another great actor. I'm not taking anything yeah. away from him, but he's when no. he's doing that speech to convince yeah. the army to go inside with him, and it's not it's yeah. not very believable. No, there's there's no passion. There's and again, I, I like I like Joaquin Phoenix a lot, but this is that was such an important moment in kind of Napoleon legend that he like threw open his shirt and is like he's like, would you kill your emperor? And it's just this like this emotional plea to the men that he had fought beside, and it just it falls so flat. It's, it's flat lines in here though. Yes, I believe anyone would follow him to the ends of the earth. Absolutely. And and it, it because of the setting and because of his position, I mean, I don't want to compare the man to this fictional character, but it reminds me of Idris Elba in uh, Beasts of No Nation, mm. where he's so charismatic and so able to motivate these people that otherwise have very little reason kind of to keep going other than bare survival. But he's able to, to get out of them what he needs and more, as is uh, uh, Che, and to inspire yeah, and I think that's so important. Like, I think that gets missed in a lot of these movies where it's like, 
you know, you could say, oh, this guy was so great and he did this and he did that and his people loved him. But a lot of times I'm like, yeah, but the movie doesn't really tell you how. Like, it doesn't really mm. give you the... I don't see it. Like, I usually, a lot of times I don't see the, the connection here. Like, whether it's the acting or the writing or the directing or whatever. But here just everything just comes together. And every time anybody shows reverence to him, I'm like, yeah, like... 100 percent i'm on board mm. he's he plays it so well and like even when he's got those guys and he's about to execute them he kind of does it in a charming way <laughs> you know <laughs> if i was gonna be executed yeah, and, jason i'd want to be executed with politeness like which by che, che Guevara. yeah absolutely and and that's his whole character like again you talk about the idea that he didn't want to be the symbol of the revolution necessarily that he didn't want to be the front facing and that and that you know, uh, Soderbergh is kind of acknowledging that by not giving him these close-ups. But then I think Del Toro's acknowledging that, too, by really underplaying the performance. Like, really kind of keeping it... Like, we rarely ever see him get... I don't know that we ever see him get, like, super emotional. No, not uh, really. And and yeah, he's also not... He he's also not worried about showing that he because he has asthma as well. We can mention because yes. um, that comes up a few times, and he he doesn't seem overly worried about showing that he has it in front of the men. You might see another movie where a leader would be like, "Oh, that's a weakness. They better not see it on me." It it kind of makes him more human. Well, my thought with that was, and it was interesting. That was a runner that, that just kept going. Like we just had him coughing occasionally throughout the movie, but that also reminding us that he does have asthma. Of course. If this weren't like a biopic, we'd have to assume that he was going to die at some point because that's mm. what happens. If somebody starts coughing, they're going to fucking die. Well, no, it, um, yes, but but as a, as a bonus, if he coughed into a napkin and there was blood and he looked at it sure. and hit it, then you know. Yeah, yeah. then you know for sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he, but it makes him, you know, it helps humanize him. Uh, uh, and it's a real thing that people have to deal with. Like, people have asthma. And this motherfucker's smoking cigars, too, so it's not helping. And he doesn't have any puffers or anything, any of the technology that we have nowadays. Yeah. Impre- that makes it even more impressive that he's able to live his life as a gorilla. It's like you've got asthma and you're constantly smoking big, fat cigars, and somehow <laughs> you're going through the woods and staying alive. And Cuban cigars at that. Yeah. The, ooh. I can't speak to Cuban cigars. I've had them on occasion, but uh, uh, more so Cuban cigarettes, strong. Can't speak to either. No, I think I have had a little bit of a cigar. No idea if it was Cuban, but I smoked about, I don't know, uh, an inch. (laughs) And I was like, I'm good. Sure. Yeah, no, you're probably good. (laughs) That's a lot. Um, Don't inhale, folks. Don't inhale. Uh, okay, we got to talk about uh, we talk about uh, Fidel Castro in this movie too because he's an important figure, obviously, that comes up. Um, of course, he's played by Damien Bashir. Damien Bashir, yes. Um, but yeah, let's talk about his performance because he he looks like Fidel Castro. I think the, he, the look that's is, the thing. Really, really good. When when he first shows up in that early scene, I was like, wait, that's supposed to be Fidel Castro. He doesn't really look like Fidel Castro. But then when you know they get out into the field, he has the the greens on and he has the proper facial hair and head hair. It's like, oh no, this guy does look like Fidel Castro. Yeah, he really does. And especially when he's wearing the horn rim glasses, like it looks like a lot of old pictures of Castro I've seen. So help me out with this because. Again, Jason, I'm not um, I'm not the history buff as much as you, but there seems to be at some point there there obviously they are friends, but there is a little bit of butting heads. Now, what I am what I inferred from that was that Che Guevara was very much of the sense like no, in order to enact real change, sometimes you do need to resort to violent overthrowing of government or whoever's in charge. Mm-hmm. Whereas Fidel Castro 
is more trying to negotiate and kind of compromise, right? Yeah, but also I think Fidel indicates like, I think it's more that Fidel is perfectly willing to use violence where it's necessary, and there are lots of instances where it's necessary as far as he's concerned, but there are, I guess there are parts where he figures from a pragmatic perspective, it's better to maybe, you know, not use violence because it can be cheaper to do it in a way otherwise. I mean, obviously when it comes to Batista and his goons, the violence was their choice, but like having to make deals with the other uh, guerrilla groups to get them on side... Uh, to be able to actually do this thing, mm-hmm. um, and and yeah, so I mean, and, and obviously, I think that was what it boiled down to. I think because Che was very much a guy that was ground level. He saw things from ground level. He acted from ground level, and that's how he thought about it. Whereas Fidel, Fidel was thinking on a grander level. Maybe he he's thinking more on a the more. Pol- he's more of the politician. One hundred percent. There's a reason why he was president after things were done and not because Che. he was absolutely in yeah. not Che because a Che didn't want it. I'm sure, but mm-hmm. but b he's the he's the like kind of intellectual heart of this movement. I guess. Yeah, um, and and I get the sense too uh, the dialogue in this movie. He does at one point say, um, you know, when when Che and Fidel are speaking, Che says something like, uh, "Well, you're." You're getting other people to kind of compromise with you and stuff, but assume, but if they help you and you're successful, they're just now we're just going to be at at odds with them now. Like they're they're going to be coming after yeah. us too. Um, whereas Fidel Castro is like, no, 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 no. It's we're not. It, it's going to be a free Cuba, no matter what. We're going to be free. Yeah. <laughs> well, sort of. <laughs> well, but that's the thing. Like you know, in those situations, I think like any budding uh, any budding dictator, and I don't know that Fidel Castro went into this wanting to be a dictator. I feel like he was one of those guys that got into that position and was like, well, I'm here. And if things are going to be done right, why don't I be the one to do it? You know? Mm. Uh, yeah, I don't even know a lot about Fidel Castro as a dictator. I know dictators are on the whole pretty awful, but I don't generally. Yeah. I, I don't know. I, what, I don't know. I don't know a ton about how well, it's how, one of those things like through the years of Castro's reign, there has been a lot of political oppression as far as like, you know, people's uh, people that oppose the regime being, you know, dealt. I mean, I don't know whether they were killed or disappeared or put in prison or whatever. Um, you know, it, it, it's the sort of it's the sort of kind of oppression that is common in a lot of communist countries and has been. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, it's also, you know, it's a place that part of its poverty and part of its situation comes from its economic position where the United States still has this huge embargo on it. Even after all these years, it makes no fucking sense now. Is it not done now? I thought they lifted no, it. At no, some point. The, no. During the during the Obama administration, they kind of eased the restrictions. Oh. They didn't fully get rid of them, but they eased them so that they, there was a, some business that could be start being done with Cuba. But when Trump came in, they got rid of that. They reversed that. Of course. I don't know that Biden ever went back to it. Big I honestly don't know what the current status is. Shocker. Um, okay. But, you know, Cuba's, Cuba's got its problems, but Cuba also has its advantages. Like, we hear about the Cuban healthcare system because they do have a pretty damn good healthcare system. And they have doctors that serve all over the world and go to, like, Africa and stuff and, and, and work and, and if, learn. And if you want to see more about that, watch the movie Sicko. Sure, yeah. Check that out. I haven't seen that in a long time. I mean, listen, Michael Moore is maybe not the most objective viewpoint, but, yeah, but, but watch yeah. that movie. It's good. Um, okay, so I, I do want to I do want to also talk about the going back to the New York stuff because he's in New York, right? Yeah, when he does his big speech at uh, con- is he at no he's at the UN he's not at Congress he's yeah. at the UN and there's even a bomb threat and he's like okay cool I'm going anyway um, yeah he doesn't care which 
crazy. Uh, but he goes to the UN, he does this big speech, and what I think is really, I mean, it's a, it's a great scene, I think. And what re- what's really cool about it is that you have all these other nations kind of pointing out, like, coming out against him and saying, like, what he's doing and how he's violent and all this stuff. And he's just, like, st- he stands there and just starts pointing out the hypocrisy of all these other leaders be like well in venezuela this shit happens in your country this shit happens in your country this shit happens and your your purpose is not uh you know independence of your people your purpose is to gain personal power like that's i'm at least doing it for a seemingly noble cause brendan that was the day my mama socked it to the harper valley pta this is Chase harper valley pta this is him coming up and being like you're calling me a slut Oh, you were the sluts. Excuse me, can you explain this? <laughs> oh, you don't know that song? You never heard that song, the Harbor Valley no, PTA? Oh, no. So basically, it's uh, a, a, this little girl uh, is sent home a letter uh, that she takes to her mom. And the, the letter basically says, like, hey, we think you're running around with men and you're a slut. And that's not a way to raise your daughter. Signed, the Harper Valley Parents parent teacher association you know harper valley pta okay so this in the song she goes to the pta meeting and basically is like well you all got a lot of nerve uh pointing out my flaws when and then she begins to basically list like you're cheating on your wife you're you're doing this you're doing that and blah 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 you're an alcoholic like she mm-hmm. just points out everybody's fucking flaws and then is like good day and walks out yeah and that's the day my mama socked it to the harper valley pta <laughs> Well, it's true because he's literally pointing out some of his examples are like genocide being committed. And it's like Che yeah. Guevara is doing far less than genocide. I mean, sure, they're executing some people here and there, but they're not they're not genociding anybody. I don't think they're necessarily executing innocent civilians, though. I mean, I don't think so. But, you know, that's the thing in war. Like maybe sometimes you execute innocent civilians you think aren't innocent. You think that they're like working for the government or something, you sure. know? Shit happens. I mean, I don't, I, I don't want to like I, I, I like Che Guevara and I respect him, but I don't want to pretend that he's a flawless character because he was most certainly was not. No, <laughs> but of historical figures of his ilk, he seems to be one of the better ones, as far as what I'm inferring here from just from all the other shit that people have committed. Well, and and also he's had like a you know a, a 50, 60 year publicity campaign in the form of people wearing his face on T-shirts, which and now in retrospect seems like the last thing in the world he would want. So, oh <laughs> yeah, that's that's the craziest thing too. I was thinking about that while watching this movie. I'm like, man, yeah. I was like, man, that goes against everything he's talking about like he literally is like i don't want to be the face of the revolution and what did fucking teenagers do in the in the nine like 2000s made him the face of the goddamn revolution he's he's the face not just of the revolution of all revolution revolution. he's just a general revolutionary figure he is the the general uh general symbol of opposition it seems to the establishment yeah 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 he's he's definitely a shirt that you can wear that says, fuck you, I won't do what you tell me. Now, Jason, do you think, um, now what percentage, and I want an actual percentage here, what percentage of uh, dude bros that have Che Guevara posters or shirts uh, knew who Che Guevara was? Oh, um, uh, it's got to be 15%. Oh, wow, you're being generous. I think so. I have actually asked someone before, like, I remember, and I wasn't even doing it as, like, to prove a point. I remember being like in university, university, and seeing that poster, and actually asking yeah. someone, "Who's that?" And they were like, "Uh, it's that um, uh, Che uh, Che guy." And I'm like, "Oh, what's he?" And he's like, "Oh, just like a, he's just a cool guy." 
Like they couldn't even tell me <laughs> one thing about him. And I'm like, he could be like, yeah. well, that's how people end up with like fucking monsters on their wall. Like you do some yeah. research. Yeah, no, exactly. If you're gonna if you're gonna have somebody's face in your wall, you should at least have a basic idea of maybe who they are. Yeah, it's like on my wall, I don't have uh, just posters of uh, I don't I don't line my wall with like Bill Cosby, Louis C.K., and Johnny Depp like on the. <laughs> well, I took I did, but I took them down when the trials happened. It's like oh, it's like look at this, look at this, uh, look at this fantastic photo I found at a yard sale of this of this dapper this dapper fellow in a military uniform. Brendan, that's Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon. Oh well, sorry, Jason. <laughs> oh. I'll put up the one this one of the American military. Brendan, that's Ollie North. <laughs> that's Oliver North, Brendan. Yeah, maybe not as bad as Klaus Barbie, but still not good. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean I I don't like Oliver North, but I think it's unfair to compare him to Klaus Barbie, the butcher of Lyon. Oh, the best scene in Rat Race. <laughs> it really is. It's really the only reason I knew who Klaus Barbie was till I got interested in uh, history. Jason, me too. Rat Race <laughs> taught me about famous Nazis. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's the best cutaway ever. It's like, Dad, can we go to the Barbie Museum? Klaus Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> and what, didn't it, was was there like the the guy he's like wearing like a nazi uniform and being super polite to them and showing them all around no no they just like they're just standing there nervous the whole time i remember they're they're like um honey we should probably go and then they steal hitler's car remember yeah i don't know why hitler's car was in the klaus barbie museum why was it functional <laughs> Yeah, that's Why another thing. Well, maybe you know, maybe the guy that ran the museum was super, you know, super committed to keeping that car in running shape, just in case. And, and then the kid in the back uh, puts on some some lipstick that's inexplicably back there and says, "Look, mom, I'm Mrs. Hitler." <laughs> oh no! Sorry, this uh, just a, a side tangent back to our main yeah, topic. Sorry. Um, I just happened to read here. I'm just I'm looking at the Wikipedia of Castro, and uh, it says that. So on February 16, 1959, he was sworn in as prime minister of Cuba. In April, he visited the U.S. on a charm offensive where President Eisenhower wouldn't meet with him and instead sent, of all people, Tricky Dick Nixon. Ugh. And guess what? Castro instantly disliked him. Weird. <laughs> good, good sense there, Fidel. So there you go. You've got a point, <laughs> Fidel Castro. <laughs> yeah. He was, a, he was a sharp guy. Yeah. No, I don't think anybody, I think even the people that were in the same political party didn't like Richard Nixon. Yeah, no, I think the only people that like Richard Nixon truly were people that could drink and talk about football and, with and, him. And Pat Nixon drank, and she I don't think she liked Richard Nixon. <laughs> no, I bet you she didn't like football. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, okay, Jason, I know you're I know you're um you're big into uh, when we get into these battle scenes and there's a big finale, this big battle of Santa Clara. Is there anything you want to talk about with this whole uh, this whole sequence? I mean, I don't know much about the history of it, um, but I just I thought it was a well filmed battle scene. I like the fact that they they take a they they take that train and they Lawrence of Arabia it. They fucking they they fuck the tracks up and they knock it over and then they ambush it. Mm -hmm. That's classic guerrilla tactics. Um, I thought I, I liked one thing I noticed in this movie, and and I even and it was even mentioned in the introduction. There are a lot of U.S. weapons that I assume most of them are, are surplus from World War II that eventually made their way to Cuba. But they have a lot of M1 Garands, which are the, was the main battle rifle of U.S. infantry in World War II. We've seen them plenty. In fact, we, last week we talked about you know the term lock and load. Yes. And that was in reference to an M1 Garand. Uh, interestingly, in this movie, I don't, and maybe I'm wrong, I do not hear a single ping in this movie. Because the Garand famously, when it, when it ran out of bullets, it would eject the clip. And it would make this ping sound because the clip was like uh, steel. Mm-hmm. 
and it would eject the clip, and then you would reload it. Yeah, no, I don't know. If these I've are seen, like I'm familiar. I've seen many Matthew Vaughn movies. Sure, sure. And I just I wonder. Like I didn't hear a ping. I feel like these are all World War II surplus. Surely they would make the ping. I can understand why you might not want to make the ping because you don't want to give away your position. Mm-hmm. But come on, guys. Like let's let's be accurate here. Yeah. What the fuck's wrong with you, guys? Soderberg. Fuck you. I like um I like in this in this final combat scene there is um there's a real sense of man what a fucking shithead when you, when you see the scenes with the the general on the other side and they basically tell him like you've got thirty minutes like you've got till eleven thirty and then if you don't get your men to surrender we're coming in and I'm not gonna be responsible for what happens and he goes ah. Uh, me and this guy, we have to go do something. Uh, but tell, but make sure you tell the man not to give up. And they take off. Yeah. Did we see what happened to him? I don't remember. Uh, they, 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 they hold him at gunpoint, but I don't think we actually see him get killed or anything like that. Oh, because in real life, he was summarily executed by... Oh, uh, maybe we uh, missed uh, it then. Fighters under the command of Guevara. Okay. I don't know if it happened in the movie. I don't remember it happening, but... Because I thought it was funny that they're they're fleeing and they're wearing, like, you know, typical, like, Cuban civilian gear with the shirts and the hats. And he's just like, no, we're, uh, we got to go to Havana. So you just, you just defend and don't surrender. You can make a truce, but don't surrender. Oh, yeah. A, a shit heel coward. Like, just an awful, yeah. awful thing to do. Um, and then, like you said, that final moment is so great because we see some of Che's men who take this, who drive in this like fancy car, and he says, "No, no, no, stop this car!" And he's like, "What? What are you doing?" And they say, "Like, well, we took this from an enemy sniper. It doesn't matter. He's dead. Like, who cares?" And he's like, "Well, this is not yours, though. Go return it. This is not what we're. This is not why we're fighting. We're not doing this for like wealth or whatever. Like, this is this is bullshit." And he makes them turn around yeah. and take the car back, which great. Yeah, and he's like, he's like, take the car back, drop it off. And then you either get on a bus, jump in a jeep, or use your feet and get back here. Yeah, it's a great, a great like little cap to the first half. And I gotta say, what I love about this, what I really love about this movie, is it's it feels like a full movie. It's part it one, does actually, but it ends. Like if you just ended it, it here, I'd be like, oh man, it'd be cool to like see other parts of his life. But I would still, it still feels complete. Well, and it ends on such a high note. Yeah. Uh, uh, like, like they, they, they took Santa Clara, uh, Batista's fled the country, and now they're on their way to the capital unopposed. And it's like, it's like, you know, it's, it's the high point. It's the yeah. peak. You know, it's the best you're going to feel. It's like, we fucking did it. Yeah, so many times, like, you have, even, like, even when it's not a part one or part two, it literally ends on a cliffhanger. And there are exceptions where it's fine. Like, the, the new Spider-Man animated movie, I thought, you know, it ended on a cliffhanger, but I thought it it still felt like a complete movie. But there's other ones like, um, I think it was like the Deathly Hollows kind of ended on a bit yeah. of a cliffhanger. I think they did that with Hunger Games too. And it's like, come on, guys, we don't all we don't all have to copy Kill Bill Volume One, okay? Not everyone has so- to end on a cliffhanger. I think Soderbergh is smart enough to know that we don't need like some sort of artificial cliffhanger because we know it's a cliffhanger. We know there's a second part coming. Yeah. Uh, we know that he has more life to live. Well, and kudos so, to him too because originally he was just going to make this four out four and a half hour movie. He it yeah. could have been a cliffhanger. I wonder if he you know messed with it a little bit to to make it more complete in this moment. I mean, I thought it was a weird place to end the movie, but it also, like, again, it's on such, like, he t- he turns those guys back and he just has this moment of standing there and he's kind of, like, got a smile on his face yeah. and it's just like, yeah, I fucking did it. So any other uh, big things you want to talk about before we take a break? Um, I do want to mention, too, because I thought about this earlier, but I haven't said it yet. Uh, so when you were talking about how they don't really show him in any close-ups, mm-hmm. 
what's amazing, and I'll be interested to see if 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 Dear Soderberg can resist the urge in the second half. But in a in a conventional biography, at some point we would have had a shot of Che's face specifically emulating the the famous photograph that was used as the basis for all the t-shirts like that particular shot of him and we never quite got that in the movie like again we didn't get a whole lot of close-ups of him and uh every time we kind of saw his face even near that position it was like it wasn't like he was posing it was he was just walking along doing something like jason part of me thinks that it's gonna end like that like it's the last shot as a freeze frame and then it and then it transitions to like the red background and the black silhouette (laughs) Yeah, it's yeah. It's just it's the fucking the twenty sixth of March, uh, uh, flag. It fades into the flag of Cuba, and then the anthem pops up, and then cut to black. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, July twenty sixth. You mean? Sorry, yes, July twenty sixth. Twenty sixth July. Twenty sixth of March was a far less successful invasion. Thirteenth of March was the other uh, the other group. Well, and remember, remember the fifth of November. Oh, oh yeah, well that's my group. Yeah, my, the, the November fifth column. Yeah, the the Vendetta Vig boys. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> anyway, we only speak in V's, but I'm not going to demonstrate it. <laughs> that's good. So we're going to take a brief break now and uh, listen to some ads, and we will be right back. Hello, my friends. This is Ricardo Montalban. Yes, you saw me in a movie a few weeks ago, and I was very good, wasn't I? Yes. I may be dead, but to me, the greatest podcast on the face of the planet, even now, is for Screen and Country. Yes. Join Brandon and Jason as they sit in their chairs made of rich Corinthian leather and wax poetic about all sorts of films that you may not have heard of. (laughs) Yes. It is I, Ricardo Montalban, saying, listen to this podcast on the radio network called Age of Radio. Thank you. Cha-cha-cha, bits and bobs. Cha-cha-cha, bits and bobs. Cha-cha-cha, 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 bits and bobs. Am I doing this because it's Spanish? Is it borderline offensive? Maybe. I don't know, but I like saying cha-cha-cha. Did you know there's a movie called Cha-Cha Real Smooth? I've never seen it, but it's the name of a movie. Anyway, it's time for Bits and Bombs with Jason and Brandon. Boom. This movie opens up with a picture of Cuba. Yes. And we have a very a very long sequence where the provinces of Cuba are indicated and then a couple of major important cities are indicated and then I believe we finish off with the mountains where these guerrillas are operating. Yeah, that was interesting, right? Cuz it was it they showed it for about like a good solid like 2 or 3 minutes. Like they were really really hammering down where everything was and I wonder if that's going to be if that was like a thing where it's like just to let you know, this is like this is a lot of ground, and they're mostly going to be traveling by foot. Maybe just to show us like how much they travel in the movie, right? Mm. To give it to give yeah. a, a look at that, I guess. It, I yeah, I was alarmed when I was watching this. I was like, should there be voiceovers or something wrong with my copy? <laughs> no, I don't think so. I think it was just yeah, just giving you like a right straight up kind of sense of the geography because most people watching this movie probably don't know Cuba all that well. No. I wonder if this movie was released in Cuba. I don't know. Does Cuba even have movie theaters? Oh, yeah. I well, I mean, I, I, and that's not to say, I, I have no doubt that it's been pirated in Cuba. Um, 
So early on, we had that, as I mentioned, we had that first scene where where Che first meets uh, Fidel, and they're having dinner. And I thought it was kind of the interesting contrast of them sitting around in this relatively well-appointed middle-class home in Mexico, eating this lovely meal and drinking wine and talking about poverty and, and the plight of people in Cuba. But, True. I mean, understandably, I mean, they're, they're going to put their money where their mouth is, so I can't criticize them too much. I like, um, um, I like my... A line that I really like when he's being interviewed, um, she says something about like, is the mission done? Do you feel like you've accomplished everything or something like that? And he says, I have no plans to retire at this time. <laughs> like it just, <laughs> it sounds like a, it just sounds like something like, like an a press actor release. would say or a senator yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a little bit of tension early on with some of the other soldiers because he's not Cuban because he is Argentinian. Mm. So one might mm. wonder why he's there, but it's clear he wants to help free the people of Cuba. And he, again, he puts his money where his mouth is throughout the course of this film. I wonder if some of the negativity, I'm not saying all, cause I'm certainly, there's valid points to be made there, but I wonder if some of the negativity towards Che comes from the fact that he's not Cuban, like from, from people, from expats that don't like Castro, possibly, but I think, you know, his actions during the war, such as that they were, was probably a part of it. Um, another one, again, I have a lot of like, there's a, couple, a few lines here that just made me laugh. Like, again, when he's when he's being interviewed, just before he's being interviewed, they say, like, do you need any makeup? And he kind of, that seems ridiculous to him. He's like, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. And then he sees someone else getting like a touch up and he says, like, oh, may- maybe just a little powder. Just a little powder. We should note, too, this movie is almost entirely in Spanish. So kudos to them for doing it in Spanish with English subtitles, um, except for the points during the interview because we're we're seeing it as it's airing on American television. So we're hearing Oscar Isaac's voice um, translating his answers. Yeah. Yeah. I don't actually have a lot of notes for this uh, part because I was watching the movie most of it. Well, that's always um, a good sign, Jason. Yeah. Uh, what about what? I did like the scene. Sorry, I was going to say, I, I do like the moment it made me laugh where Buddy has the hard time with the bazooka. He fires one shot. It completely misses the house they're attacking. He fires another shot. It gets closer, but it, it's in the other direction and it misses. And finally, Che runs up. He's like, fucking give it to me. And he puts it in and he explodes the house. Well, do you know the fa- do you know that the, originally that scene was supposed to have Che miss the first time? and get it on the second mm-hmm. time because they wanted to show oh. that he didn't just like wasn't just some expert but they were literally running out of light and they were like we got to shoot this yeah. just nailed the first time i like that they show che as valuing education too like they show him mm-hmm. like when he gets those recruits those very young recruits that he's very hesitant about yeah. taking in and he says like they can't even he, like, we can't read or write he's like well you can't come in if you can't read or write like you know you're gonna need to have some of those skills and like oh you can teach us and he ends up like getting someone to teach them. So he's literally, while he has these revolutionaries, like mm. he's teaching them. He's giving them an education, which I think is yeah. so interesting. Well, I mean, if, if the revolution is going to be successful, he's going to need people that can read and write. And if the and, revolution and... is going to be televised, he's going to need people to operate those cameras. That's a different country, Brendan. The revolution was televised in Venezuela. Jason, with that attitude, the revolution will never be televised. Now pick up that camera. <laughs> okay. I'm just going to, I just have to follow around a government in hopes that there'll be a coup against it. <laughs> it's like, who's that fucking weirdo with the camera? I uh, keep saying the revolution will be televised. He he signed on, he signed on with the uh, uh, Asylum Pictures to make a sequel oh. to the revolution will be televised. Oh. And he told them, he said, well, that was a documentary that was a complete mistake. And they're like, too bad. We want, we want the same thing. But again, now I'm just thinking like the Asylum version of this would just be called like Ernesto or something. <laughs> 
Yeah, probably. Queb. Ernie. Ernie. It's called Ernie, and it's just a picture of Benicio Del Toro, like, shrugging. You know, oh, yeah. Be- yeah, because Benicio Del Toro would do the asylum version oh, of this. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I mean Rob Schneider in brownface. Oh, God. And at some yeah, point, it would not be a it would not be a movie that would be nice to Che Guevara. And it's yeah, I was gonna say, and if Rob Schneider's in it, at some point, out of character, he'll start ranting about cancel culture or something. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> why why do people like Fidel Castro, but they don't like Rob Schneider? I'm gonna go on Glenn Beck and complain for two hours. Well, you know, Glenn, people just don't have no taste anymore. So do you think, there's a part that I wanted to ask you about, too. So they, at some point they decide, well, we've got to name Fidel Castro as the public face of the revolution. Or the public, yeah, the public face of the revolution because he's got the most um, recognizability, I guess, and uh, he's going to yeah. help our cause. And I know that we said that Che doesn't want to be singled out or anything, but do you think that still does something to him psychologically after all the work he puts in that Fidel is like the guy? No, 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 I don't think so. I really don't think so, because I really don't think he has any interest in running Cuba. I don't think that because, again, he's a revolutionary at heart. We'll see that later on where he doesn't want to stick around and and run the government. That's not his bag. His bag is being on the ground, fighting the fight with everybody else. The only other uh, moment that I really want to point out is um, it's a point of comparison. So we see earlier um che tells some of the men like okay if anyone wants to quit step forward and he says you got 30 minutes and if i find you you're going to be treated like deserters um unfortunately like you know it imply with that what you will but he basically tells him you got 30 minutes you know go off and just leave it's not the most you know it's not the greatest way to get to let people leave but he does let the people leave later on at towards the end of the movie one of the enemy one of the one of the enemy soldiers is like fuck this and tries to like take off it literally gets shot in the back and i thought that mm. was a that was a pretty interesting side by side like you know <laughs> this guy's like you know yeah i'll make some sort of amends for you to leave and the other guy's like no fuck you i'm also going to shoot you from behind like a coward yeah that's all i got for bits <sighs> and bobs jason yeah, the last thing I, I mentioned is that the uh, I think Batista had air power, which we see a little bit of, where they just start bombing a town and terrorizing everybody. Mm-hmm. We don't actually see any planes because we don't need to. We just hear them. Yeah. Uh, and the one line that I heard that is like, this is not a line you ever want to hear said to you in any situation where, where Che goes up to a dude and he's like, okay, you're now in command of the suicide platoon. Oh, yeah, that was brutal. <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> I was like, well, wait, I know of the squad. Is the platoon like the next step up? <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a bigger it's a bigger amount of suicide troops. Oh, okay. No, I'm not sure exactly. I don't think they were actually a suicide uh, 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 team, but mm-hmm. uh, that's what they were called probably because they were doing the most dangerous job. <laughs> okay, well, I'm. Uh, um, do you want to know some, some other things about this movie, Jason? Please. Okay. Well, um, Del Toro, like I said, they did so, they did a ton of research. I talked about that. They were interviewing family members, people who fought with him, people who lived in Cuba at the time. And Del Toro was like, look, I went into this objectively because he, he, he admitted, he's like, before this, I just thought he was a bad guy. I didn't know anything about Che Guevara. Like I, he said, I had no context for who he was. Not saying he didn't mm-hmm. do, you know, he wasn't an angel, but he thought he was just like a kind of a villain, right? And yeah. so he said that um, he kind of described Guevara as he interpreted it as a weird combination of an intellectual and an action figure. He called him Gregory Peck and Steve McQueen wrapped in one. 
Um, he said when you tell, and he said they had to be careful because he said when you tell the story of Che, you're telling the story of the history of a country. So you got to be careful how you tell it because you're you're possibly incurring the wrath of a lot of people. <laughs> like just yeah, um, it's not just like you know we're doing a biopic of this guy. Like this guy is so ingrained in Cuban culture and history that it's got you're affecting so many other things by talking about it, right? Um, mm. The original director, by the way, that was going to make this movie uh, some time ago was Terrence Malick. Oh, Terrence well, he would have made a four-hour movie, no problem. Oh, you would have been, and with about ten lines of dialogue. Yeah, this movie would have been very <laughs> slow. <laughs> not, not to say there's anything wrong with that, but I'm just saying, no, that's probably what it would have been. Um, but basically, hey, I am stoked to watch the Thin Red Line again. Yeah, I haven't seen it. In God knows how long. Um, but uh, basically what happened with Terrence Malick is the financing just didn't come together. And he left to make that movie with uh, Colin Farrell, The New World, um, which I've never seen. Uh, the screenwriter they got, Peter Buckman, uh, was recommended because he had written a script about Alexander the Great. I'm assuming not the one that Oliver Stone ended up making. Uh, yeah. I don't think the script ever got made but they just really liked what he did with it and so they wanted to bring him on board and this should tell this tells you how long ago this was jason they had to put that on pause and go make the movie traffic so that was in 2000 (laughs) so that was wow yeah um uh, soderbergh had a hard time too with um believe it or not in 2008 or close to 2008 a lot of studios were pretty reticent about not only splitting up the movie, but also doing it in mostly Spanish with English subtitles. Because for some reason, mm. they think people don't want, don't are are super opposed to reading. I don't know what this is. Which is, which is fucking insane. Because has not the Netflix era proven that people fucking love having subtitles on? We weren't there yet, though, Jason. Yeah, no, we weren't in 2008. But nowadays, it's like you shouldn't fear a subtitle movie at all. Well, it's like I don't understand the the opposition to it like movies that go to theaters that have subtitles they still make bank look at that uh uh they just had a godzilla movie in the godzilla minus one from japan yeah. completely in su- completely japanese with english subtitles did very very well well well, well i certainly appreciate that I, I i do miss uh that we don't have any godzilla 2000 style lines like godzilla uh there's there's a little bit of godzilla inside every one of us <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But Jason, I will say that Godzilla minus one is to me anyway, I think it's even better than the original one. Oh, I, I've heard it's fantastic. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And Godzilla looks so fucking sexy. <laughs> uh, so yeah. So he, Soderbergh was like, you know, he, he was a little upset about that, about the hard time he had getting it financed and everything he actually got it financed without any american money or distribution deal um and he said you know it was kind of frustrating um but he he the same thing happened to him on traffic where he eventually raised the money to make the movie traffic because people thought it was such like a uh, you know it was not going to do anything and then he he was happy because when traffic came out a lot of a lot of people contacted him and said well we really regret not funding this movie because it was a big success for you and then the same thing mm. happened with Che where they're like oh we really regret not funding this movie even though this actually wasn't a success financially uh by, by no. the way um but i think with the with the uh network deals like airing it on i'm assuming he aired it on hbo and stuff too uh, i think that helped but a lot of people were like, oh, man, we should have helped fund that and market that movie. We probably would have made 
bank. Um, they actually shot the scenes of Guevara speaking to the UN in the UN. By the way, <laughs> they did it. They, yeah, it would sure look like it. They were they were about to do some uh, renovations that they hadn't done you know, in forever, and Soderbergh was like, "Oh shit, how much time do we have?" Okay, so they got down there before the renovations took place and and filmed it because they didn't want it to look, you know, they didn't want it to look modern, right? Um, mm. They ended up filming in. Uh, they ended up filming in Campeche. Campeche. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but not Cuba is my point. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would have been. Again, that would be illegal for Americans to uh, to do. This was in Mexico where they un- ended up filming. Uh, Soderbergh was also like, I, "I'm not interested in uh, Che Guevara's life as a bureaucrat." He said, "I'm making I'm making a movie about uh, two big military campaigns." He said, "These movies are more war films to me." Um, he said, uh, "He said he said I know the criticism is going to be, well, that's convenient that you don't want to do that because that's when Che was at his maybe most uh, like at his maybe his worst, like the most times mm. people could criticize him." And he just responded with like, "Well, just it's just not that interesting to me. I'm more interested about uh, making a procedural about uh, guerrilla warfare." Um, he also said that he would make another movie about Guevara's experiences in the Congo, but only if Che made a hundred million dollars at the box office. This is where Ron Howard comes in as the narrator and says, "It did not." <laughs> um, and that's pretty much all. well I guess one more thing um, apparently the film is okay this is just what I read and I'm just going to read it as I, as I read it here uh, this movie is a tribute to the Marxist notion of advancement through two conflicting ideas known as dialectics with its division into halves with two tempos two color schemes two aspect ratios and two approaches to chronology each half focuses on a different revolution both fundamentally the same in theory but vastly different in outcome so there you go but Jason, I think we're going to save the reaction from the critics and maybe some of the um, some of the final notes for when we get to part two. But I do want to hear your thoughts sure. for sure. So tell me uh, yeah. what you thought, where we're at so far with Che Part One. I mean, I thought this was a pretty solid war movie. I enjoyed it very much. Um, I really like how it was shot and how it looked. Um, you know. It, it wasn't my favorite movie that we've seen so far, but maybe once we put the two halves together, maybe I'll have a, a better thing to say. Uh, but Benicio Del Toro is absolutely fantastic and is is one of the best performances we've seen so far. So I am excited to see the second half. I will refrain from writing it, though, until we get to the second half of the of the episode. That's fair. Um, I mean, it is, it is interesting that you, if you go to um, IMDb, I believe it's broken up into two movies. On Wikipedia, it's one. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's two. On Letterboxd, it's two. So, um, so I will give a rating just to just to combat with you, Jason. But I fine I, then, you asshole. <laughs> I thought this was. Uh, <clears throat> I thought this was great. Um, I really like this movie. Uh, again, Soderbergh is one of my favorite. Well, I think he is my. I think he is my favorite director. Um, so maybe I'm biased and right away and. <laughs> Uh, I knew I was going to like this, but uh, like you said, Benicio Del Toro is really good in the movie. Um, I think this movie takes a pretty good, not totally objective, but they don't, I don't, I don't think they gloss over a lot of stuff that would otherwise make him look better. Like they could, they could have just excised a lot of stuff that kind of lends to a bit of criticism. Like you said, the executions that come up in this movie. Um, And uh, he, he calls someone the Spanish word for gay at one point. Uh, 
<laughs> now that that's like you know they don't treat that as like a big revelatory moment but i did notice it on the on the captions it came up as a nasty little f word i was like oh che that's not <laughs> nice that's not you're gonna get canceled um but uh yeah no it's it's really good and the battle scenes are great great and i love the i just love the build-up the build-up of him like putting this putting these people together fighting the stuff in new york is is great to like bounce back and forth i give it uh eight glorious beards out of ten nice oh and we didn't mention but apparently the the subtitle of the first movie is the argentine uh, Argentine, and the subtitle of the second film is gorilla (laughs) son of a bitch monsoon Well, there you go. So that is Che Part 1. Now, obviously, it shouldn't be very hard to figure out that next week we're going to talk about Che Part 2, also number 75 on the list, uh, because it's all in the same thing. It'd be weird if Che Part 1 was on this list and not Part 2, or if just Part 2 was on this list, so I'm glad we're going to cover both. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, there we go. We'll talk about Che Part 2 next week. Jason, as you know, our home base is Age of Radio. You can go to ageofradio.org slash for screen. And that's where you can find our podcast. Or you can go on any podcast app and just search for us there. We're also on social media at Facebook. Uh, you can also search for us on Twitter and Blue Sky at FSAC pod. That as in for screen. And podcast. Jason, what about you? At Jason D. McLeod on all the ads. that's it that's it okay okay um perfect okay well on that note jason uh you want to wrap this thing up put a bow on it well brendan it's come to that time at the end of the episode where we have our usual bullshit so that Mm -hmm. means that i just have to say to you god save the king my arm is in a sling ow and for screen and country i'm jason and i'm brendan and my arm hurts Just put a steak on it or something. A snake on it? No, a steak. Ah! Why'd I put a snake on my arm? For Screen and Country was created by stars Brendan Wall and Jason McLeod. Today's film was Che, Part 1, released in 2008 and directed by Steven Soderbergh. The 26th of July anthem and Hasta Siempre by Carlos Puebla served as this week's music. This has been an Age of Radio production, copyright 2024.